welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. It's episode 31 and this week it feels very cool and quite surreal to say that my guest is Namone Metaxas. So if you're a big fan of the radio like me, you probably have heard of Namone at some point over the years. Um, She's a DJ, she's a radio presenter, she's a television presenter and producer, but she's also a practicing psychotherapist. And I love the idea of kind of blurring these two, two worlds together. And um, I found out that Namone was a psychotherapist only last year in the summer during the lockdown one. And it was before we all got used to being locked down all the time. And it was when there was that real kind of um, like anxiety in the air, really. A lot of people didn't know what to expect. A lot of people were very worried. And Namone used to come on Laura Laverne's show and play these like really relaxing beats and do some mindfulness stuff and talk about breath and grounding and it was so calming and so fascinating because I think it was only a few years ago that this sort of stuff wouldn't have been mainstream so the fact that it was there on Six Music in the middle of the day on a big show like that um, was really cool and I just loved the idea of it so it just made sense to me to reach out to to Namone and ask her to have a bit of a chat and um, it's a really good chat it's great we talk about Namone's career in music and her career in psychotherapy we talk about how those world, worlds overlap and how she kind of co- combines some aspects of music in her mindfulness practice and stuff like that. We talk a lot about music, about as humans how we connect with it, how it can change our state, how it can allow us to feel things differently and how it can you know pick us up when we need it to. We talk about live music and connection. We talk about identity related to music. Um all sorts of stuff like that. We talk about how music can help people sleep better and how we can use it in the mindfulness space. We also talk about exercise. We talk about wild swimming. Um, yeah, the conversation goes all over the place. It's really, really good. Um, Namone has interviewed all manner of people. It's like if you look on her website who she's spoken to, you know, Schwarzenegger, Bono, uh, Eric Cantona, Johnny Depp, all these people. And I think knowing that, did make me a little nervous speaking to Namone a little bit. And I think that comes through in my side of, of the interview. But Namone was absolutely lovely. And we actually reference the fact that I make a couple of mistakes and get my words a little bit wrong. And we talk about that. And we talk about how what is feeling when I'm making those mistakes and stuff like that. And yeah, Namone had a really, really interesting take on it. And she made me um, yeah feel feel really good and feel relaxed about the mistakes that I made. And um, yeah, that's a really interesting part of the episode. And I say this in a moment, I wanted to leave it in because mental health scruffy, right? And I don't want my podcast to be this like polished thing that's absolutely perfect because that doesn't represent me and it doesn't represent mental health or mental illness, which is scruffy and messy and chaotic and it changes from day to day and it can be unpredictable and it's never perfect. And um, yeah, I just want proper mental to represent that anyway 
if you'd like to connect with Namone on social media, at Namone Metaxas on all platforms. If you'd like to read about her work, either on radio, DJ, and or a psychotherapy work, you can go to www.namonemetaxas.com. If you'd like to connect with me, at Proper Mental Podcast on all platforms. Instagram's probably, probably your best bet. You can email me through the website, www.propermentalpodcast.com. And as ever, I would really, really like it if you could subscribe and leave me a review and tell your friends and spread the word and all that sort of lovely stuff. That being said, let's get going. This is the Proper Mental Podcast, episode 31, with Namone Metaxas. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Yeah, I wasn't going to, yeah, I'm not going to have my headphones on so I can hear you. So, um, so yeah. No, that's fun. That's fantastic. Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Namone Metaxas. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, good. Good to uh, be here, Tom. Thank yeah, you. Oh, super. My first question, Namone, is did I get your surname right? That's, yeah, uh, good. that's fantastic. That's That's been on my mind all morning. <laughs> good start. My, yeah, I mean, no, yeah. totally. Not easy, not always easy, but yeah, Metaxa in Greece. Okay. Uh, but Metaxas here, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's good. I'm off to a, off to a good start. Um, I wanted to start really, Namone, chatting a bit about about your work and your background with your work because I kind of think that there's a there's a group of people that will know you um, from the radio from broadcasting and DJing and stuff like that and there's a group of people that will know you through your um, psychotherapy work but there might be a, a section in the middle that don't know that you do both of those those things so how did that kind of uh, come to be if that's not too too big a question to jump in say, let's start let's start broadly <laughs> um <laughs> Well, I'll start with getting into radio because that's what I did first. But actually, interestingly, that almost starts with psychology and uh, and sort of an interest in, in mental health. But it really started from me. I kind of I was always fascinated in what made us tick as people and why we react. One person might react in one way to a certain situation and somebody else in a different way. And I think that fueled me changing my maths and philosophy degree over to a psychology degree back when I was in you know, 18, 19. Um, and the psychology degree had a brilliant reading list um, and the maths and philosophy was a bit more <laughs> a bit more kind of straight and traditional, although albeit I think I'd have loved it. But um, no, I was fascinated in psychology and all, all elements of it. And I think it was quite popular in the early 90s. Lots of people, lots of psychology courses, uh, real kind of interest in that area in the UK. And, and I loved my degree in Manchester, but it didn't really give me the relational um, side of things that I was looking for um, and uh, but at the time I thought you know I'll, I'll look for a bit more of that in in a um, in the psychology area so they were also filming Cracker in Manchester at the time which was a, a show starring Robbie Coltrane and uh, as a clinical forensic psychologist yeah psychologist. that's right yeah and um, I thought oh do you know that's more what I'm looking for, that sort of clinical psychology, that might be more what I'm looking for. So I looked at doing an MA in that and was working in psychiatric wards in Manchester. And I just finished my degree there. And then KISS had opened the radio station in Manchester and we listened to, to, to it religiously and, and, and I loved the music. And they advertised for a job. And I was like, well, I'm going to try and go for it. And once I walked inside the radio station and experienced 
the studio, the music, the kind of uh, the feel of that, I was hooked. And I thought, actually, I'd also at the same time been thinking, I don't know, at 20, 22, 23, whether I've got enough life experience to to be Robbie Coltrane and be a clinical psychologist. You know, I just didn't feel like I'd lived enough or that I that, yeah, that I'd had enough experience of, uh, of all kinds of areas of life. Um, and I'm not sure we ever do, but certainly at that age, I, I, I just felt like I needed to live a little. Uh, so I did. And working at the radio station was fantastic. And um, I was like being in a club every day. There was such a great roster of DJs at the time. Graham Park had a show, 808 State had a show, Walteca had a show. Um, and I, I was like, oh, I can get paid for playing my favorite records. This is amazing. What a great job. Uh, and I had to learn how to do it. So I, and I went in on reception and worked my way across and uh, learned how the equipment worked and learned to DJ and, and, and kind of built up my knowledge from there. But I think I always thought as well that my, you know, my interest in interviewing people and getting their story across and really listening to what was going on that kind of took me back to my psychology and, and the interest that I had in, in what makes people tick and how, how we are in the world. So I never really lost sight of that. And, and after three years at KISS, I moved to Radio One and, and had a show there, but I was always checking back going, oh, I do some further study in psychology in some way. I hadn't found psychotherapy at that time. And it wasn't until I had my own kids and the uh, mum was talking about doing a, a foundation course in psychotherapy and counseling and my ears pricked up and I was like, God, that's how perhaps I get back into that. And by this time I was doing, you know, lunchtime show on, on Six Music and I had my electronic show that was starting as well. And I felt grounded enough to sort of lift the lid on the bonnet and, and look inside a bit more. And, and I went off and did a foundation course in psychotherapy and counselling. And, and since then I've done an MA and, and qualified, but that was my circuitous route into how they both and I could never have dreamt really that they'd combined but actually I'm really pleased that now they're coming together again in in a in the show that I'm doing on Six Music which is Journeys in Sound. Yeah sure and I suppose when you kind of like we as humans we like to think of things in in boxes don't we and we like to put these hats on and stuff like that but from just hearing you talk about it there there's so many like crossover elements and you you know you talk about gaining life experience and all those different people that you've spoke to over the years particularly in the music industry where you know to let's there's some real characters shall we say you know there's a lot lot going on you know you probably witnessed the and a big array of different people and different situations and all that sort of stuff that probably um, all fed back into being quite good, quite good background, I suppose, for more, uh, more counseling and therapeutic work. Right. Well, I just, I, when I went to the interview for the psychotherapy, I was like, Oh, you know, there's lots of people from the social care world. There's lots of people from the psychology world who, who've got that experience. How, how, how am I experienced enough to do, to kind of be, be doing this. And when I thought and broke down what I'd actually been doing, which was making guests feel comfortable, trying to approach their story with little preconception and not making, you know, making as few assumptions as I possibly could. I realized that actually, yeah, I'd been doing the work of, uh, it, you know, some of the work that's involved in in the kind of therapy world as well, or, or at least taking account of that and really, uh, you know, giving people a space to tell their story in the way that they can to everyone. That that felt actually like it, it really had been uh, a crossover. Yeah, very much. I suppose like, you know, creating that space and then, you know, being able to hold it for other people as well, you know, and allow them to, yeah, to fill it, I suppose. Yeah, feel comfortable mm -hmm. enough to, to talk. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I, I love the idea of, um, 
you know, bringing kind of music into the idea of, of like well-being and um, how we how we look after ourselves and how we feel in ourselves, because how we feel about things and our emotions are so linked to to music. And I was actually when I was prepping for this episode, um, I was finding it really, really challenging to kind of articulate what I wanted to chat to you about, because a lot of the things we experience, either like when we listen to music, it's very hard to articulate. Like we know it makes us feel really, really strongly in a load of different ways, but it can be hard to find those words. And then I started thinking about the correlation with mental health. Like when we're feeling a certain way and you sit down in a therapy session or in a GP's room or even with your friend or whatever and trying to articulate how we are feeling and what's going on within ourselves is, is really, really difficult. So, um, yeah, I'm going to muddle through and try and talk about something that I can't quite <laughs> articulate. The moment. But, but I think, I think what you're saying is really important, Tom, because quite often it, feelings and our experiences are pre-verbal. So we don't have words for some of what we experience, certainly not early, really early on in our development, And that can continue. So when we say we can't find words for it, what's often an interesting exercise is to come back into our body because that's how we know we are feeling. We have the tight chest and we have the shortness of breath that that indicate that we are anxious. We might not know that that's what we're, we might not have the word anxiety for it, but we know that we feel slightly worried and slightly scared. So I think you're you're absolutely right. Sometimes there aren't the words. And what's beautiful about music is it really um, it can trigger those kind of feelings, perhaps without the words again. Yeah, um, sure. So that's why it can be really comforting and and bring a lot of solace when it's hard for some people to find words. And I think in the therapy room, I use a lot of body psychotherapy as well because actually sometimes we can't find words. Yeah, sure. So what what is body psychotherapy, Namone, if you don't mind me asking? So that is paying attention to what's happening in the body. And obviously for that, you know, it's it's a moot point because we're using words to try and describe what's (laughs) happening in the body. And sometimes that's not possible, but it's about finding a shared language for what we notice when we're feeling a certain way. Um, And I might ask clients and wonder with them and, and get curious about what's happening in their body when they describe feelings of anger or they describe feelings of anxiety. And that can lead us to, um, yeah, a greater awareness of what's happening for us when we're, when we're in the world. Yeah, sure. And that's really hard to do. You know, you mentioned before tuning into the body to try and catch those, those feelings of uh, maybe for instance, um, anxiety before, before it goes, but that's really hard to, because modern life is so busy because we're so overstimulated to try and to, try and act, almost feel those it's much more easier to just kind of like try and forget about it or push them down or distract ourselves with you know social media or telly or booze or whatever it is that we've got all around us for distracting so that in itself one of the things with my own mental health that's been huge for me is what I call it self-awareness I don't know if that that's that right the right term but to to really like tune into myself and try and catch what's what's bubbling up um nice and early so I love the idea of that but that kind of ties in quite nicely because I over the, the last summer in the big lockdown one, 
and you were doing some a lot of um, mindfulness with music and breathing stuff on on Six Music, and I absolutely loved that for a lot of reasons. And um, partly because it was so nice that on daytime radio, on national radio, that these terms were starting to get used. You know, because it's not that that long ago that that would have been almost um, put off as as woo woo. You know, but it's fantastic that that's becoming uh, commonplace. But also because I'd never thought about involving music. I'd always thought about meditation as being you know, in, in silence or in nature and things like that, but never with uh, with like an electronic beat behind it. But yeah, the way we feel and react to music, like that can be incredible, powerful to bring us into one into one spot, right? Well, I think I think you make there's several things in there, isn't there? The pandemic has required us all to slow down, which actually has brought greater awareness of how we're feeling. And it's not always comfortable. It can be really scary because, like you say, we're distracted so much of the time that we tend not to, we tend to go, oh yeah, now I might feel a bit uncomfortable. I don't like to worry about that. I've got this to look on on social media or I must watch that program or I'm going to talk to this person. And actually we haven't been able to do that and certainly not face-to-face. So we have been with ourselves and kind of noticing that more and more in the last 18 months. And I think that was the impetus. I, I was finding right at the beginning of the lockdown and the pandemic, so March, 2020, that I was doing more grounding and breathing in my own work and therapy and with therapy clients. And it just felt like actually maybe that is something that I could bring to my work on the radio, that it might be useful for people to take a breath, take a pause and just check in with how they're feeling. And I've, I think, I think you're right to say actually with music, it's people don't often think of meditation necessarily going with music, but it's not always about the beat in the music, is it? Sometimes it's just being enveloped by something and you can keep your own pace along with something else playing alongside it. And actually that can be really comforting. Yeah, definitely. I, a lot of people, if I speak to about any sort of mindfulness, the first thing people tend to say is like, oh, I can't do that. I just can't. My mind just can't stay still. And you kind of, that's kind of the point is, is training that. But yeah, if you've got something something nice in the background, it can kind of, because you're not trying to think about nothing, right? You're just trying to be, present in yourself so yeah that music can kind of hold you in place almost if uh if that makes if that makes sense well and and you're right in the you know the biophony i think we call it and geophony so bird song and the sound of the trees and wind and all that kind of stuff is the stuff that gets drowned out by everyday modern life and that that actually to tune back into that if that's in a piece of music that can be really helpful as well and it's not often a beat that soothes us it's actually um not having a beat or kind of kind of almost rising above the beat and and tuning it tuning in with exactly where you are and letting that beat carry you along if that makes sense yeah sure so it's almost like i don't know it's hard isn't it because it's kind of in the background but it's not it's kind of like weaving weaving in and out yeah yeah that's really cool i like that i like that a lot and we know as well that music kind of it affects our biochemistry, right? So when we're listening to it, it can cause us to, um, when we feel these different emotions, they're based on different like hormones and different changes in the body and stuff like that. And that of course is what happens when we feel stress or when we feel um, happy or when all these different things, and it's your biochemistry has a massive impact on your, on your mental health. And that's fascinating as well. We don't think of music as something that can alter our state. If that, if that's the right way of putting it. Oh, definitely. I mean, the, you know, uh, a faster pace of music can actually result in us running f- faster and, and achieving, f- you know, much, um, 
improved kind of um, effort in exercise, much as a slower piece of music can trigger the parasympathetic nervous system and our kind of rest, uh, relax and digestive system. And that allows the body to recuperate as it suggests and then and calm down. Yeah. So music's inherent in that, in kind of, um, yeah, going alongside what's happening uh, biochemically in our body. So I suppose it could be, you know, it can be very handy, can't it, when it comes to to mental health and and well being in general. You know, to um, I mean, it makes us all feel good, right? Crank the stereo up and and sing your head off, and that kind of allows us to release something. Or um, the opposite of that, when you're feeling down, there's a great can be a great comfort, can't there, in in music and stuff like that? Is it? Um... Oh, I think music can be really soothing in all sorts of ways. And what's fascinating is what might be soothing for you and what might make you want to crank it up is is totally different for me for somebody else, and and that sort of the beauty of it I mean there will be elements of the same thing happening for us but it might be triggered by different you know different artists different types of music you know ACDC yeah. for one person might be really you know kind of like want to shout and get really you know and that might be quite relaxing for somebody else and there and their get up and shout and kind of um energetic music is and speed metal or whatever yeah definitely but have you had the opportunity Namon, to see a, a brain in an MRI when music's played have you have you I, I I have seen pictures of what happens when and nothing lights up uh, an MRI scan like music because it triggers so many different centers uh, so many different areas in the brain um, you know the the kind of deeper part and the memory part is also I mean I think that is quite a thing when you listen to music it can transport you back to a particular period in your life and particular relationships so that's kind of related to almost the uh, visual memory and then you've got your frontal cortex which is trying to make sense of it and the logic part of the brain which is going okay so um, what's coming next and trying to predict what's happening so many areas are connected when we're listening to music yeah yeah it's fascinating isn't it and something that I've heard you talk about before as well is that how um how sound has changed over the time because like modern life is so is so busy and we are overstimulated in so many areas but I've never thought of it in terms of sound you know because life's getting louder isn't it life's uh, bombarding us in in that way yeah so it's actually harder to um to come away from that I think life was much quieter a hundred years ago and there's actually an amount, isn't it? I can't remember at the moment. But I mean, in decibels, you can measure how much louder life has got, which is actually, you know, can be quite discombobulating for the body and for us to then try and bring back that sense of calm by, um, by you know, um, triggering the parasympathetic nervous system. So I think it's harder. Um, and we've got so many draws on our attention at the moment. So um, where we wouldn't have had a mobile phone and, you know, uh, 24 hour media. And, you know, there were moments in uh, previous eras where actually an, the idea of just looking around, you know, there's, there's, you, you went on a bus or a train trip and perhaps you had a book or you were chatting to someone, but you couldn't constantly be on an electronic device. And there's lots of good things that have come out of us being able to have portable media. But actually what we don't notice is just the level of noise and sound in our environment that can be, um, yeah, distracting, like you say. 
Yeah, sure. It's really interesting to think of it from a, a sound point of view. You know, we think of it through work. We think of it through, yeah, social media and phones and, and stuff like that. And as these mental health statistics, they seem to like continue to, to rise. And, you know, part of that, of course, is hopefully because people are getting better about talking these talking about these things and there's more services available and there's more things to help people. But I think something else we need to consider is how much about mental ill health comes from, um, you know, society, you know, that doesn't certain things that maybe don't serve us too well, like our, some of our working environments and like, yeah, the amount of noise and not being able to, um, yeah, just kind of sit and, and be calm and stuff like that. Right. Well, I wonder if that's something that will be noted from the last 18 months, because actually the world became much quieter place. There was so much less air travel, certainly in the first lockdown in the UK. And that's when people started to notice birdsong in a way in, in cities, in a way that they hadn't in years. And actually, as we've talked about, that can be very calming in your environment. And yet it's normally drowned out by the level of noise that you're having to contend with on a daily basis. So just to bring some of that, again, slowing down a more meditative way of being might result in, in, a, in a sea change in the way that we think about air travel or how much noise we're surrounded by, by in, in urban environments that might lead to, to, to people thinking about actually lessening that in the long term. Yeah, sure. I suppose if, you know, the modern world's not going to change, right? So we have to find our own way to navigate it. We have to find our own, our own tools, our own processes, our own, our own route through the, through the chaos to keep us, to keep us mentally, mentally well. Um, and, it, you know, yeah, music can play a big, a big role in that, um, particularly if it can help us, help us ground, help us find that space and, um, and help us sleep as well, right? The moment that's, um, music can have a, um, an effect on, on how we sleep or certainly how we prepare for sleep anyway. Oh, there's been a lot of research done into music um, being a way of uh, becoming part of your routine before you go to bed. And because it's about sleep, uh, uh, kind of a healthy routine before you go to sleep, um, and music can definitely be a part of that. And that's what I meant about not necessarily having a beat in the music, actually having sounds that perhaps we don't hear as often, which is, you know, a grandfather clock or birdsong. Um, that isn't necessarily regular, but is very familiar, can be very calming in the moments before you go to sleep. And there are plenty of um, you know, musicians that are making music with that in mind. Uh, and, and somebody that I spoke to at length about this was DJ Tom Middleton, who's made his own kind of sleep CD and, and talks a lot about um, sleep health and, and how to kind of promote the environment that you sleep in to, 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 to best help get, get the best night's sleep we can. Yeah. And that, you know, sleep is, that's a huge factor, isn't it? In looking after our own, our own well-being. you know, it's, um, I don't know, we tend to almost take sleep a bit for granted, you know, as if we can just jump in bed and expect it to happen. And we're all chasing this mythical eight hours, but it's never, never as simple as that, is it in, in modern life? But um, yeah, I know for myself, you know, when my sleep goes, when my sleep's off, that's normally a sign with me that, something's on its way or I'm not doing something I need to be doing or or something like that so um yeah to have anything that we can use as a sleep tool is um can really help people uh, again navigate this this modern life that that can be challenging for us yeah and I think you're right it's about bringing awareness to that because when you stop when when that happens so when you notice that you're not sleeping as well that might be a moment to think about what it is that's triggering that and what actually is going on rather than oh my god I'm just not sleeping brilliantly oh how what a nightmare it can absolutely be 
oh, maybe I need to change something about this or there's something that I'm really worrying about and that's, you know, not helping me sleep. Um, because, yeah, like you say, that is our, our body's chance to recover um, and repair. Yeah, sure. And I suppose it's um, there's like we often talk about distraction as, as like a negative thing because it takes us away from like tuning into our ourselves. But it can also be a um, it can also be a positive thing. Like before sleep, sometimes you need to distract your, your thoughts somewhat so you can find that that gap in the middle to dive through and, um, and grab a few hours. Right. So, yeah, I suppose that, yeah, it really helps, really helps with things like that um, with your with yourself. And obviously working in um, psychotherapy. And you're talking to like all these different people and stuff like that. And um, how do you protect your own space? Right. I often wonder this about therapists because, um, you know, it's heavy. Right. And then you have to after work, then you then have to be, you know, the wife and the mother and all that sort of stuff. So um, have you got anything that you particularly use to to walk that walk that line and to switch from one one thing to the other? I'm definitely, um, I've become more interested in self-care the further I've got in life and the further that I've got in, in therapy and kind of noticing the things that really help me, uh, yeah, rest and come away from work. And actually for me, it's things like running and swimming that I've done, I've done for years actually, but, but never really thought of them as my chance to rest and recover but actually running for me for years was that and then swimming as well and actually more recently cold water swimming so I'm a huge fan uh, of swimming throughout the year outdoors uh, I haven't swum indoors for about a year and a half now and um, keeping going throughout the winter actually which is the first time I've done it this year for the first time and the benefits of that have been huge in terms of um yeah i think it's stimulating endorphins when you when you're in cold water and um really yeah keeping me keeping me feeling like actually uh, i've got the energy and um i i'm not sure i know all the physiological benefits of of how it's worked for me but anecdotally I know that it's definitely worked and that it has been an essential part of keeping me feeling um, okay during this hugely anxiety provoking time of lockdown and a pandemic. I and mean, when we couldn't swim and I couldn't get to the lake near me in, I think it was January to March, wasn't it? Because that would have been too far to go. I, I mean, I reluctantly was like, oh, I can't, actually, I can't get there. And it's not okay to go travel that far and swim. And I will. And I did a bit more running, but my God, I missed the swimming. And there's something meditative about swimming for me. And there's something about being enveloped in water that really allows me. Sometimes I think loads and I'm really it allows me the space to process things. And sometimes when I'm in proper flow, I can reach one end of the lake and think, oh, my God, how did I get here? Um, and that, so I'm lost in it in that kind of sense. And I think that can be equally um, helpful and and. Um, yeah, allow that kind of rest and digest that, that we've been discussing. So uh, even though I'm moving, I'm still relaxing, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There's something about being almost in that in that flow state, isn't it, where you're just cutting through the water. And it's interesting you say um, like the benefits anecdotally there, because that ties in with with music and with talking about mental health that we kind of we can't find the words maybe to to say what's what's going on. And um, do you do like um, the Wim Hof stuff or are you, uh, do you do all I, that I'm, stuff? 
I've I've come across Wim Hof. I've seen. Uh, I think there there are various places he is on uh, on TV, isn't it, on Netflix and and doing. I haven't done a course, and I'd really like to. Um, yeah, I'm fascinated by by what he does and what he achieves. But but listening to him and watching people go and experience the cold water. There is something about it that, in fact, I'm missing that at the moment because obviously the lake's warmed up now and it's actually not that cold. So it's lovely to go swimming, but I'm not getting that kind of, you know, um, endorphin hit, you know, the same kind of hit that you get as I went through winter, as I started to not have the wetsuit on and still get into the water as it dropped to, you know, like 10 degrees. And there was a point in November, October to November, where it really dropped something like 12 to kind of seven degrees. And I really, I was like, <laughs> I don't know whether I could do this. And they're not, I'm not obviously, you know, in the winter, in the summer, I'm swimming laps of the lake. I'm not doing that in winter. That would be crazy. But I think, uh, and not very safe, but actually I've really noticed how you tune into what's happening to your body. And you're like, I, I can say 10 minutes maybe at that kind of temperature. And it was fine. And then very quickly it was like, no, I need to get out now. I know that. And that's, you, you do start to, but, but I wouldn't do that without having done the training that I've done to get to the point of being able to stay in, in colder water. Cause um, yeah, you need to know what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. I, I think a, a, a lot of people will say as well, if you start in the summer as well, as you work, as it gets colder, then your body will adjust, right? Rather than just deciding yeah. to try for the first time in, in December yeah. or, or something like that. Yeah, probably not the best thing for <laughs> no, not may not result in a lifelong love of no definitely but that's quite interesting as well you know when you said about music how different people experience different things and I find that with the cold as well you know I've got people that I know people of people I chat to um that you know for them it's uh like for me I quite like cold showers and um you know for me I'm like I can't worry about my tax returns when I'm in a cold shower right so it just it keeps me like brings me completely in the moment and quite interestingly if I feel the cold and think about the cold and try and stay stay with my breath I can stay in there an awful long time but the moment my brain kicks in and thinks something like oh I've done a a whole two minutes or something like that as soon as I'm out of that then I realize how it's cold and I almost have to center myself to stay to stay back in but I think those sorts of benefits of training yourself to come back into there and and also that whole thing of like in some ways life's got a bit easy right you know like our ancestors would have been cold a lot they would have been wet a lot they would have you know and now everything's like fluffy and soft and you know we do we kind of lose a certain amount of resilience and I was I don't like to use that word too much around like mental health because I'm not a fan of like you know resiliencing your way through anything I don't think that at all but it does do us some good I think for that like micro hit of adverse adversity like I don't want to get in the sea today but I'm going to do it anyway and now I can apply the fact that I've achieved that to other areas of of my life almost Mm. and and hearing you say about coming back into the moment I mean that's often what a lot of therapy is about is 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 bringing awareness to where the mind has gone and where the worries are and actually asking how how do I feel right now in this moment as I sit here taking this particular breath what do I notice in my body what can I glean from how I am in this moment rather than what am I thinking you know what's it going to be like to meet that person and what do I what have I got to do in that minute and what what just happened there and oh my god that meeting went awfully and what happened you know actually when you start to slow down and think okay Am I, am I okay right now in this moment? 
or am I not okay? And then to think about that a bit. So that sort of centering, which is very much comes from that kind of, you know, it can be training in, in all sorts of different ways um, can be really helpful. Yeah, sure. And that's hard to do, isn't it? To find that like it takes practice, like so many people will try and do it once and then it doesn't quite work out. So they just won't do it again. But it's almost a, a skill to learn to just tune and ask the right questions of yourself. And sometimes you have to ask different questions, right, to get different answers. And um, yeah, that it, it's it's not that easy, is it? Mm, I think it's really hard to do on your own, actually, which is why obviously I and I would say this, I think therapy can be really useful because you're with somebody else alongside you asking those questions and kind of like you, like you said at the beginning, kind of holding the space for you to be able to ask those questions. And it's not often a space that we create for ourselves at all. And yet you might do that in a night, you know, you might find that space in, in places like a nightclub surrounded by your favorite music. And it might be the point at which you're like, no, actually, I know how I'm feeling. I'm feeling great. Yeah, sure. That's like another thing about music, isn't it? That um, And again, from Cold Water, there's these themes that are going to run for all of this, I can tell already. But um, uh, like, yeah, live music or uh, the club scene or anything like that, that sense of community, right? That sense of coming together and being together and all experiencing the same thing in our own way. That's massively important to um, to like mental health, mental well-being, however you want to call it. And I think that's as well over the last year and a half or whatever, that's something we've really missed, isn't it? That kind of, um, yeah, that sense of coming together and that connection through music. I think I've noticed lots of places where we've tried to get that despite not being able to be in the same room. I mean, look, you and I, you know, over a year and a half ago might have tried to meet to do something like this and I would have come to a studio and we found a way to meet and talk um, but actually, of course, you want to be face to face with people. There's something really um, primal about wanting to get into sync with other people or to experience something collectively. And that can often do, be to do with safety. A sense of safety comes from our collective experience. Bessel van der Kolk writes about that in The Body Keeps the Score, fantastic book on his work with post-traumatic stress um, and I think it was Vietnam war veterans to begin with but he's written a lot about um, getting in sync being really important and experiencing synchronous sounds with other people so that's music the idea that singing makes us feel really safe it comes from a mammalian sense a core mammalian sense of safety that would have been from being with the pack from staying with the group of people that kept us safe rather than being you know um isolated so that's something evolutionarily coming from from very early on um in human development mm. I, I often think about that thing in particular like gigs and stuff like that is um modern life can be quite it kind of forces us to be quite repressed in some ways right and we never really get the opportunity to scream and shout not in that primal way to like let things out and you know maybe you go to a job and you have to sit at a desk for eight hours and you're not you can't express yourself fully because of like the people around you and the environment and then maybe you get home and you've got to be a certain way because you've got kids in the house and it's not appropriate and we can go for a long time without just letting these things out and then you can go to a gig and there's like you know ten thousand of you in a field and you can you know all be together and just letting that stuff out you know it's like incredibly powerful in that respect well, you've, you've mentioned something really important there, Tom, which is kids do it really un, unashamedly. They let out what they're feeling at any given moment. And it's only the environment that then goes, oh, no, we don't do that. Or that's not a good idea. Or 
that level of noise isn't acceptable. And you watch that over time, somebody's told that exactly, of course, they're going to end up thinking, I can't possibly let this out because because ultimately I will be cast out of the group and I will end up on my own. So it really relates to the same sort of thing that we were just saying. The idea of, um, yeah, not being sanctioned by the group and being cast out is so big that actually it can cause us to change our behavior over time. And what would be lovely is if we were more accepting of slightly louder noises or somebody's behavior that's different from what we perceive to be okay as a collective. Um, and when we really start to pay attention to that, that can really give us a, a kind of license to be slightly different in the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, slightly, if you're being like slightly different by society's standards, but more in line with, with you, with your authentic self, that's something that for me in these, in these conversations that I've been having, a lot of things keep coming up over and over again. And, and authenticity is one. And, you know, that is something where people, you know, if they're not able to be themselves, be, or even don't know who they're, they've lost sight of who they even are, so to speak, um, that can have a huge impact down the line on, on mental health and well-being. In my opinion, that's not from any sort of, um, you know, no, no trading perspective, just from like anecdotally then. Um, but yeah. Which is, which is absolutely valid, Tom. I'll <laughs> say that. As, oh. as I heard you kind of go, but it's not written down. That's okay. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you that's... felt it, haven't you? And you know it. So yeah. Uh, uh, plenty of people have said it to me or it's been underlining conversations. It's something I've experienced myself, you know, when I've hmm. had, I had a job for a long time that I, I didn't like very much. And um, yeah, and I felt for a long time that just kind of chipped away, chipped away at like my identity. And then it got to the where I didn't know what that was anymore right and um yeah and I think that's I kind of lost my thread of what I was talking about but that authenticity um yeah being able to feel like we can express ourselves as we want to when we want to yeah that's huge you know that's um that's massive for okay so well I'm being. bound to ask you what happened when you lost your thread what did that feel like what was, <laughs> what was happening in your okay. body you um, your I, I felt very panicky um yeah. I started to feel quite quite nervous that I was going to tank this chat um yeah 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 definitely that Um, was so that that can be a sign that uh, of anxiety and what happens sometimes is the body then shuts down which is why we then go oh I can't I don't know what I was I don't know where I am because actually it's a sign of so actually it's a protective mechanism that the body uses to go I really don't like this feeling this is not where I want to be it's not where I plan to be I'm just going to shut down for a minute and it's okay because it happens all the time. But we, but what tends to happen, which is what happens with me in interviews as well, when the same thing happens and it does all the time, is I kind of go, oh God, where was I? And, and, and then of course we start to catastrophize. Um, is yeah. it gonna go, you know? So it's just a really natural part of, but it, but it is a, a, a protective mechanism that our body uses to- That's fascinating. Yeah, and the, yeah, that um, catastrophizing as well, that happens in like, the blink of an eye, isn't it? Without you consciously thinking, oh my God, I'm going to take this conversation. That You're thinking it, but without consciously thinking it. Yeah, that's... Um... Oh, I hope that's okay to draw attention to because actually the last oh. thing I want to do, but actually I think it's really, um, mm. it's really useful because it no, happens I think that's, all the time to all of us. And um, we tend to go, uh, I've just got to kind of front my way through it when actually it's, maybe it's about pausing and going, no, actually... It's okay. I'm here with Namone. We're just chatting about this. We'll we'll find a way through. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, no, by by all means. I think that's awesome. I think that's really good. I'm really keen for this uh, for my podcast to be a little bit scruffy. 
like it is just it is mental health scruffy it's complicated sometimes life's easy sometimes it's hard and everything in between and um i really want relatable conversations so yeah if i get my words wrong i don't edit it out i don't like if something goes wrong i don't bother it's a snapshot in time it's a conversation i put it out there and it's done and if we did it in an alternate universe maybe it'd be different but this is this is this one. <laughs> oh, it's lovely and i think that's what's so um engaging about it too oh that's super yeah so have you seen um have you seen different things through your work, your psychotherapy work over the last 18 months with the, the pandemic? You know, because I kind of think that like through my own therapy, I before the pandemic, I'd just be like exploring stuff, you know, like trying to work out stuff about me and trying to work out why I felt certain ways and all that sort of stuff. But then when the pandemic pandemic hit, well, then suddenly like things were a little bit different because there was a thing. There was a thing to, to talk about that was impacting me and making me feel a, a different way. You know, have you seen a like a thing you know a difference in your in your work an uptake are you getting more people in I mean it's definitely an area that I think people are it is growing through this as people realize actually it might be useful to have a space to talk about how I'm feeling in this um really uncertain really unfamiliar environment um I in terms of the change in things that I'm saying I think it I think yes it has people will come to therapy often when something isn't working and I don't think that has changed particularly in terms of relationship breakdown or struggling with work or whatever it is that brings us to the door of therapy that's still the same but I think an experience like a pandemic impacts on those things to perhaps accelerate that process and then there has been a lot more collective thinking in terms of um how do we interact? What does somebody's um, wh- way of being, h- how does that impact on me? And are they wearing a mask? Are they not wearing a mask? Do I need to distance? Do I not need to distance? And all of that idea of a kind of bigger society, that's come into the room much more. And also, I think there's always, <laughs> there might have been a kind of impression that I'm going to go to therapy and they're going to fix me because they've got all the answers. And of course, that is not how it works. And and yet is part of the expectation of the client and part of what the therapist wants to, you know, it's kind of in, it's in the room anyway, it's in the mix. But of course, none of us have had the answer of of any of it. And none of us can be certain of any of what we've experienced in the last 18 months or where it's going. And I think that has, it's, it's almost shone a light on how chaotic the world is that we live in and what it's like to notice that, put our heads up and go, oh, okay, I don't know what's going to happen in the next minute. And I'm not sure what the impact of that's going to be. How do I feel about it? It's not very comfortable. Yeah, what's, sure. what's that like to be with over, over an extended period of time? So there's been, yeah, sort of more micro conversations about it, the minutiae of what's happening in people's life and more kind of existential work has come in, I think, as part of the pandemic. Yeah, does, sure. does that answer the question? Tom? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's just us having that thinking time, isn't there, as well to worry about what's going on in the world. In between the worry, then there's there's these there's been these big patches, haven't there, where there's not really much to do, and everyone's just been um just yeah, think, and, thinking. And like you say, it's been us very. It, it's brought us very much face to face with our own mortality, mm, in a yeah. way that might not have happened in everyday life pre March 2020. It, you know. There is, there is a contagion. It is deadly. It has been deadly over parts of the last year and a half. And so there is, what is it like to think about 
having that kind of threat in the environment that's that, that could potentially you know take us all out yeah definitely and then i suppose we all have to find our own way don't we to to um because it ain't going anywhere right so it, it might not feel very nice worrying about these things but it's a really good skill to kind of accept that it's there and it's not going away and that we just have to learn how to be all right with that and that's quite interesting because you can apply that to other aspects of of your mental health and the things that people have going on sometimes you mentioned before trying to fix stuff that's i that's a road i went down for a long 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 time and it was only once i um once i realized that there was there was nothing to fit it wasn't necessarily broken <laughs> you know i just had to uh just be okay with not finding an answer and weirdly enough that's when i started to kind of make a bit of uh finding a few answers but um yeah it's, it's a i suppose it's teaching us a lesson the pandemic in that way as well isn't it well there's also the thought that we want to go back to how it was so there's something really familiar about pre-march 2020 that was good that's how we want it to be we want things to go back to how they were well they're probably not really ever going to return to exactly how they were and what is it that's driving that kind of desire and making it kind of anxiety provoking to think about things being different or changing the way that we live or being different with one another or taking more care or all of those things that are contained in, in what we've been processing over the last 18 months. Yeah, sure. And I, I know obviously um, we're going to have to be very, very like general with this, but how's the best, how, how can we start to kind of, yeah, find, slow that anxiety down? How can, you know, if people are listening to this now and they're thinking like, I've really identified with this, you know, I feel really anxious. The pandemic's really, really freaking me out. Um, you know, we talked about music before and stuff like breath and, you know, finding that, that peace and finding that, that comfort. Um, yeah. Meditation, things like that. You know, what can we start to use? What tools would you recommend potentially? Yeah. I wanted to say, actually, I don't always think that slowing down our breath is calming for all kinds of people. So I, I do think that breathing and grounding can be an excellent tool, but they don't actually work for everyone because if you've grown up in an environment where it can be quite disorganized or chaotic, it can be very terrifying to suddenly try and slow your breath down, especially on your own if you're sitting in your room or someone's going, right, take a deep breath. You might do it. And what comes up is a whole lot more anxiety, but it can be really useful to just to learn the things or to bring awareness to the things that do calm you down. And that might be music. That might be a form of exercise. It might be a phone call with somebody. It might be a really familiar book or, or something like that, that actually once you, you know, actually when you're a kid, sometimes you reach for the same book and you read it when you're feeling a certain way. Actually, that can just be really calming because it's familiar in this you know, chaotic environment, and that can possibly allow your body's parasympathetic nervous system to to engage, um, and will bring a sense of calm. And for some people, it will be really difficult to find the things that calm them down. But I mean, like we've been saying, I think placing breathing, and in that I consider grounding to be part of that placing your feet on the ground, and really feeling the earth coming back up to support you. And when you're sitting, if you're doing this sitting down, the same with the chair, feeling the support from the back of your chair and you kind of pushing back into the chair. And then from that kind of comfortable place, taking a deeper breath. 
and allowing yourself to only take in as much air as you possibly can in that moment. Again, to remind yourself there's absolutely no right or wrong way to breathe or meditate. You are literally bringing awareness to what it feels like to perhaps allow your lungs to take in a bit more air than they might have been. Because quite often with anxiety, especially what we'll find is we're not breathing in a regular kind of way. It might be holding our breath. It's amazing the number of times I say, what's happening with your breathing? And someone will go, oh yeah, I was holding it. Again, it's not right or wrong, but it's just noticing what happens. And, and you know, for some instances, holding breath might be really calming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's about knowing what is working for us in any one minute or moment. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting you mentioned reading there, actually, because I think reading is like a almost like a self-care thing. It's probably not mentioned enough, you know, being able to um, hop in a book and just find similar to music. You can find that comfort. You can find that 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 place to um, yeah, just lose yourself for a little bit. Really, I kind well, of. And, uh, yeah, we talk about playlists, actually, I was, as you said that you're hopping into something familiar, like a playlist that you've made at a point in your it might have been for your wedding it might have been for a birthday party it might have been for a mate that you met you know like a mix cassette that we used to make back in the day um you finding one of those that that really brings that sense of oh yeah do you know I love this piece of music and it kind of evokes all sorts of memories that again can be calming and you might make certain playlists to go along with certain states of being uh that you turn to in moments when you need them yeah sure do you um do you have a go-to for yourself, Namon, if you need to kind of, you know, change your state or switch off or switch on or anything like that? Do you have particular tracks or, um, you know, do you look on that very impressive shelf behind you and, um, you know, do you have... Yeah, I'll just pull out something <laughs> here and there. Um, I would say that there's probably not one emotion that wouldn't be helped by a dose of Prince in some kind of form or another. I mean, I can think of many occasions where I will turn to, you know, Purple Rain was a massive track for me in terms of, I think, grieving during my teenage years and, and yeah, losing myself in music. I mean, his writing is so evocative and elicits all sorts of feelings that I think, and, you know, um, I, all of his music did that, not not just Purple Rain. That um, you know, Alphabet Street brings a smile to my face because I can remember singing it with people at school and you know trying to do the rap. Uh, I, you know, it's 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 all kinds of um, emotions are stirred by his music. I would say more latterly for um, calming music, Max Cooper is a brilliant musician and composer. Um, so that's an electronic musician who does fantastic visuals alongside his work as well. Um, and, and when he can, will perform, you know, I think he's done, he's either done a performance or is doing one at the Parthenon in, in Athens. So he chooses really interesting venues as well uh, to showcase his music. But he's great. Oh, fantastic. No, I'll check him out for sure. Do you think that maybe, and it's just popped into my head, but music kind of allows us, it almost, you, we talked before about creating space and holding space and music almost kind of gives us that space, right? So sometimes it can allow you to feel emotions and let those emotions out. You know, we keep things bottled up and then there's something about purple rain that lets that come out for a little bit. And then you can put the CD back in the box and chuck it on the shelf and you don't need to, you know, it's almost like you can put the emotion back on the shelf. You've allowed a little bit of it to, to come out and express itself, maybe. 
I think we talked actually on the first series of Journeys in Sound about that exact um, possibility with Dr. Victoria Williamson. And she was saying about prolactin, being, which is the, I think that's what's produced when you're crying. And that actually that also produces a kind of calming sensation and that you can get that via music, something that we consider to be a sad piece of music or that might allow us, like you say, to let out that emotion without the original trigger so it can be really helpful in moderating and regulating some of those emotions to come out, like you say, which can be great because if they're not being held in the body, then there's a release um, and they're allowed their full expression, which can be great. Yeah, sure. And that that plays into mental health as well, doesn't it? Um, you know, yeah, not allowing ourselves to feel certain things, pushing stuff down, not having, not being able to let these things out. It's all this like big mental um mental health mixing pot really and i think what i'm trying to say is that it's multifaceted isn't it and that's what i'm trying to explore with this podcast is look at all these different areas look at all these different aspects of you know what can play into why things happen and what can help us and what can soothe us and all this sort of stuff and um yeah it's just fascinating really because i think for a long time with my own mental health i'd just like get up in the morning and i wouldn't feel great and that'd be it and i never looked for, i was just like oh god here we go again let's just wait for this to wear off and then once you start ex- ex- looking for your why's and your reasons um there's just so it's so layered isn't it and of course it's different different for everyone but by um by looking at all these different things by looking at music by looking at water by looking at exercise all these different things we can start to build a picture of what society in some ways takes from us that negatively affects our mental well-being, but also what we can give back to ourselves to, um, to push it the other way, right? And I think it's something that's worth checking in with every now and again in our lives as we go through, because it might be something that really worked in your 20s that, that might be clubbing or whatever, that actually doesn't necessarily work later on, but there might be something that does work for you that can give you the same kind of sensation and feeling and feeling of well-being and safety that can work in your 30s and 40s and it'll be different again in your 60s. So it's worth, like you say, there's no one size fits all, um, but there is plenty that can that can help us um, and, and kind of, uh, and sort of soothe our journey, I suppose, in, um, in, in, in all parts of our lives. Yeah, sure. That's really interesting, actually, because I found as I kind of moved, you know, into my 30s and then through my 30s, I clung like really hard to loads of stuff that I thought made me me when I was younger and I didn't really want to do it anymore but I always did it because it was part of my identity and then when I kind of like just let it go which I said oh, I'll never stop doing that and then I just let it go and you go, oh, I don't really miss it and I feel a lot better for not forcing myself to do it so that's quite interesting actually how how age and as we age through um what we need and what we thought we need um yeah to reevaluate what serves us and what steals from us right and you and actually as we age the we uh, we require different things as we're, you know, the brain is uh, so malleable and kind of changing in our 20s and wants new experiences. Everything's being laid down. And when we're a bit older, actually, we don't necessarily seek out as many experiences because we think, oh, no, uh, we check in and we go, well, I, I've experienced that before and it wasn't great. So I'll just stick with the thing that I know. So you might end up not going to a new restaurant. You might go to one that you've known um, over time. But what's really helpful for neuroplasticity and well-being uh, and brain plasticity and well-being is to challenge ourselves and to try new things throughout life. And that's almost what keeps us younger, I think, and what can keep brain health going for for much longer into our 
should we say 70s 80s 90s yeah let's keep going right yeah i want to hit i want to hit an easy hundred me that's the <laughs> that's the that's the, that's the plan yep that's the plan i'm going for it yeah Excellent. <laughs> yeah oh that's wicked namon thank you so much for your time today mate i really really appreciate it and i apologize if that was a little bit rambly i was so nervous talking to you it's unbelievable uh, well i'll let you re- I've, I've been really nervous as well so it's been lovely to talk to you tom and i hope there's some bits in there that are really chime with people and i love listening to people just having a conversation and about this area about mental health about music and um hopefully yeah some of what we've been talking about will chime with others oh i think it really will yeah yeah definitely and it you know i said at the start but yeah it's hard to i think when i was making notes when i was planning this conversation um and i always pride myself in having like plenty there to like dig into but we're talking about things that are really quite hard to um to put into words and then there was that like part of me that was thinking like don't turn this into a music podcast it's a mental health podcast it was so difficult not to just start asking you music just go be i'm a music geek and i've listened to six music for years so um to turn into that and then quite often i I reference myself in these chats and i was thinking like i hope she doesn't think i'm trying to blag a free hour of her (laughs) of her therapy time by bringing me up it's really uh, funny isn't it because i think people often think and and i did at the beginning how on earth is a music career going to work with a psychotherapy career and it and it does, but it's like you say, it's really entangled and it's not, it's messy and it kind of comes in in different ways. And so it's almost difficult in the way that we like to organise ourselves, like you say, compartmentalise and have this and this. Of course, the two work in whichever way we want them to, but we don't know how that's going to be. Yeah, sure. There's a real freedom in that, actually, with the risk of just like going off on another tangent. But to take it back to music, um, when I was growing up, particularly that it doesn't happen so much now but particularly when I was at school I was like in school in the 90s and stuff and you were always a thing right so I was an indie kid for a while I've been a punk I've been a mod all that sort of stuff and um, that's very useful when you're a teenager but when you're not a teenager it's not that useful to put yourself in a box and stay in that box and I was thinking that a lot about the two different roles and how many times people must say to you like oh that's an unusual combination but what is a usual combination right we can do absolutely anything it's just we don't have to um wear these hats we can swap hats as as much as we want and the more we explore it like you say the more the things interweave and um go in different directions and work really really well together yeah yeah, yeah well so far so good i'm keeping my fingers crossed oh right? mate that's awesome <laughs> but thank you so much for your time today mate i really really appreciate it. it's been great to chat to you no tom thank you and i look forward to hearing it when will you do when will you do the airing or when does it when will you yeah i'm about sort of three or four weeks ahead at the moment so it'll probably right. come out some sometime in um sometime in august if that's all right thank you mate it's been a been a pleasure oh, to I hope you. it's been okay yeah oh, same here great. i was just like oh. no so much <laughs> to talk about and you're just like oh how will it all come together but it was lovely thank yeah. you oh thanks everyone cheers man have a great holiday take care mental podcast please like and subscribe the space star